0: She does kind of the same thing. She's like, woof, we're gonna to have to rotate that. Oh, that's gonna to need to be replaced. Ooh, you're leaking fuel here. Oh, you got a lot of carbon scoring in here. It looks like you got into a ship battle or something." Totally. She's like, uh, "It's gonna set you back." <laughs>
1: they always say, "It's gonna set you back." Like, it's not gonna cost this much. It's going to set you back.
0: That's when you know. That's when you know you're in trouble. Welcome to Death Watch, a serial watchcast about Disney's Star Wars The Mandalorian. I'm Mike Bennett. And I'm Chris Skull. And today we'll be talking about season one, episode five, entitled chapter five, The Gunslinger. Episode five was written and directed by Dave Filoni, the first episode in the series not written by series creator John Favreau. So we've talked about Dave before in the
1: past uh, and with his passion with Star Wars. He grew up with Star Wars. He was heavily influenced by the original trilogy and this episode definitely shows it. We're, we're seeing a lot of similarities in writing and, and pace to A New Hope, but there's also a lot of very familiar locations that we get to revisit, namely, we're going to be in Tatooine. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's going to be a lot of uh, shot-by-shot comparisons that you'll see in this episode of The Mandalorian and from A New Hope. So there's going to be a lot of little details that you might have missed watching this episode the first time around, and we're going to get into them as we go along.
0: Great. I mean, it's, it's really cool to see Tatooine again after... You know 25 years of being in the series we we see mm-hmm. it aging as it were and um yeah the the familiarity of the episode is uh is really cool so happy to be back and happy to have dave filoni directing this episode so um i'll recap uh, episode four where we left off mando was running after his shootout at uh, the navarro bounty hunters guild and fled to a remote planet called Sorgon. he Hooks up with a small group of villagers who they hire to him to protect them from some uh, some vandals in the area. He meets Cara Dune, who's a mercenary on the run, former rebellion drop trooper, and uh, forms an unlikely alliance with her. They protect the village, and at the end of the episode, we we find out that bounty hunters are still continuing to hunt down both the Mandalorian, probably, but also the child and uh and mando realizes he can't stay so they leave and and that's where we pick him up in episode five today um a few quick podcast errors and omissions from last week um we mentioned the body double who is wearing the armor for most of the episodes uh was clint eastwood's son uh, it's not it's actually john wayne's grandson um Hard to mm-hmm. not hard not hard to confuse two great Western movie <laughs> actors, but it is John Wayne's grandson Brendan Wayne, who, who mm-hmm. wears the Mandalorian armor for most of the time through the season one episodes, uh does a great job. Um, but a lot of what we're impressed with with the subtle body language and, and motions is is mm-hmm. his yeah, there's that. definitely a swagger. There's definitely a swagger for to sure. it. And uh and I apologize for the editing of last week, the talk tracks were a little unsynchronized and it sounded like we were interrupting each other when we weren't, even though we probably actually were a lot of the time, but yes, it's it's usually a lot worse this week. We will do better. So we're excited for season two. We're going to
1: share some updates with you. Uh, Very recently, they uh, announced some uh, official updates, especially with the season two actually launching at the end of this month on the 30th. For instance, uh, Jean is coming back. There's going to be eight new, Eight more episodes like season one. Uh, Jean Favreau is going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to the screenplay and the writing. And Dave Filoni is actually only going to be writing one episode. So, kind of interesting to see where Jean Favreau's vision is going to be taking us. Um, I'm most excited for the inclusion of Ahsoka Tano, uh, mm-hmm. which is going to be played by Rosario Dawson. And the hooded actress, the hooded woman that we see in the trailer, is played by Sasha Banks. She herself is a professional wrestler. Uh, we don't know what her involvement is, um, but if it's anything uh, like Cara Dune's character, how they're bringing in, you know, professional uh, MMA and um, wrestling type uh, figures, there's going to be a lot of, you know, hands-on
0: action. It'd We've be kinda- great to see her in that wrestling <laughs> shot that we got from the trailer. See her just like pile driving one of those Gamorre <laughs> <laughs> fighters out there.
1: Um, uh, just one one right after the other. It's going to be, I'm I'm excited for that. That'd be great. Uh, the Bo-Katan Kreeze, we know her as one of the true Mandalorians. If you've ever watched the uh, the Rebels and the Clone Wars series, she's being played mm-hmm. by Katie Sackhoff. We know her as
0: Starbuck uh, from Battlestar Galactica. And, and, yeah, and, and she actually voiced, her, she voiced Bo-Katan in the animated series too. So oh, awesome. You'll be very familiar with her voice as, yeah. as the character. And then you'll see her playing the live action
1: character as well. And and speaking of voice actors playing uh, the real actors, uh, Tamora Morrison, uh, we know him as uh, Django Fett from Attack of the Clones. He also did the uh, voiceover work um, for the Clone Wars series for every clone that you that you've ever met. Uh, he's coming back as an appearance. He's being credited as Boba Fett. but we we don't know exactly how his character is coming in in season two and timothy Oliphant is coming in as Cobb vanth who in the series who in the um in the legends storyline is someone who's wearing feth's armor uh and pretends to be boba fett until he meets the real boba fett Mm -hmm. so we're going to see the very interesting intersection in storylines here we don't know where or when or how it's going to come into play but i'm really excited to to see, how, uh, to see what John
0: Firo has in mind. Yeah, all of these characters bring up a lot of potential storylines that I think would be impossible for us to connect the dots mm-hmm. at this point, but I'm really looking forward to see how they all come together in the end. Yeah, and fill a lot of gaps that we've been
1: waiting to see in, from some of the other lore as well. So it's going to be some very yep. interesting intersections.
0: Hopefully Bo-Katan's storyline helps us fill in th- the gap about how The dark saber fell into Moff Gideon's hand and, and just overall what, what the Mandalorians as a people have become since we've seen them last in the clone wars and rebels series. Yeah. Or even how Boba Fett
1: crawled out of that, you know, out of that Sarlacc pit, you know, that's that I want to
0: know what happened then. So that's a recap. Uh, let's dive right into the episode. Great. So we open up with the cold open of the show. dogfight in space. The razor crest kind of flies right past our camera. Uh he's being chased by another bounty hunter in a light fighter. This looks a lot like uh the Z ninety five headhunter, a uh, little bit like the, the clone trooper mm-hmm. uh fighters that have those like little uh secondary X wings in there, like the, uh, the six wing ship. Yeah, the Arc One seventy. Yeah. Um, it, it, but it does have like kind of an X-wing feel to it with those engines sitting right on top of the wings. Um, and, uh, he's chasing him down. They're kind of chatting over the comms back and forth. Uh, he's threatening Mando to, to catch him. And, uh, he, he makes a major mistake. He says, look, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. Mando's like, ah, that's my line is slams on uh, i guess the brakes I'm not sure what you call it in space but um space brakes uh this really cool top gun uh move where he slams on on the brakes the fighter blows past him and then he, f- he engages his engines again chases him down pulls him into his sights we get a look at like it's we see a lot of these fighters have similar targeting systems mm-hmm. with the, the little the icon of the ship kind of flowing around, um, and then falling in the crosshairs. And then they, they pull down forcefully on the, the triggers and, uh, he blasts them and you get a cool, like scream of the guy like, ah, he blows up. (laughs) Yeah. That's classic, classic movement, classic space flight. Classic. Yeah. And, uh, and then we fade into the, the Mandalorian title credits and the, uh, the theme music that we've come to love. Mando's pretty roughed up. He got shot in the engine. He's kind of, uh, he, he shuts down his engines. Actually, or the, the computers actually start to shut down. He's got blaring alarms going. Um, we, when the power shuts off, we hear the child kind of giggling. He's like, he's finding this whole situation.
1: Hilarious kind of reminds me of that meme of, uh, from the, from the Simpsons where it's like the kids on the
0: back of the bus is like,
1: I'm in danger.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's definitely uh, not matching the emotions of the moment. Nope. And uh, Mando reboots. For some reason, his ship just turns right back on. And uh, we see kind of Tatooine off in the distance. And uh, he starts flying. We get over the radio. This is Mos Eisley Tiger, uh Tower. We're tracking you. And they direct him to Bay 35. Um, I was trying to look and see if there's any significance to Bay 35. Perhaps if this had been where the Millennium Falcon had landed in mm-hmm. A New Hope. It, it didn't seem, it seems like maybe in a, a Legends story, they used this, but in general, this doesn't seem like it had any major significance um, in the series to date. Um, as he's landing, we, we get a look, apparently there's two moons around Tatooine, mm-hmm. which makes sense that there are moons around a planet. I just don't know if we've ever seen Tatooine's moons. I know that, like, we're very keyed into that there are two suns. Mm -hmm. This is a a binary star system, um, where Tatooine is. But two suns, two moons. It's a lot going on in the Tatooine sky, apparently. And then um, he starts. So we get kind of cool shots of these familiar Tatooine desert
1: canyons. Yeah, the uh, that Uh, that specific rock formation as the Razor Crest is, you know, on its approach to Mos Eisley. That is uh, the same shot or the same formation that uh, Ben Kenobi, Luke Skywalker, and the droids stood on as they were
0: looking over the city in A New Hope. Ben Kenobi? I, I wonder if they could mean old Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, well, of course it'd be. I'm him. <laughs> That's me. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I, th- that is I, a very familiar s- scene. In the in a New Hope, there's like this dramatic trumpet music that comes up. And he's like Mal Sizly, and he's like, "Never has there been." I forget exactly of high of high scum of scum and villainy. villainy. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's, that's pretty presumptuous that's of him. The, huh? the same shot that we see, and we can kind of hear uh, Obi Wan's <sighs> advice about the town. Um, the Razorcrest lands, sort of m- miraculously, in this landing bay because uh, everything's kind of falling apart. Mm. And um, he lands three pit droids pop up. This is a cool little callback to um, episode one uh, in the movie series. Phantom uh, Menace. That And the Phantom Menace, yeah. The, the pit droids who Anakin worked on in Watto's shop, and they also helped repair um, the pod racers. So they're cool little, you know, just a little callback to that era. And then um, we meet... Peli Motto, who's the mechanic who's assigned to Bay 35. I wonder a little bit what the business is like here, because it seems like Mando's directed to this Bay, mm-hmm. and so she is his assigned mechanic, whether or not he can like negotiate prices with her or whatever. Right? You know, that's probably not what people are thinking about, what the business of of mechanics are in, <laughs> in the Moss Isley spaceport, but I mean, if you're in Moss Isley, anyway. you're literally
1: like it's outer, it's outer rim. You're in the middle of nowhere. like you you don't really have much of a choice. You can get with whatever mechanic you can get, man like, uh, I think I'm gonna go with somebody else.
0: Yeah. so he gets assigned uh, Pelimoto. She is played by Amy Sedaris, who's um if you're familiar with Strangers with Candy uh, kind of back in the day, she was a great character on that show. Played uh, alongside Stephen Colbert, mm-hmm. um, she was in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She does a lot of voice acting, including the movie Puss in Boots. She has over 114 actor credits on IMDb, so she is kind of all over the place. And and her her performance here is is great. Like she just has so much attitude, so much character. Like she's just a really great addition to to the show. And she's
1: worked with John Favreau before, so I have a feeling that um, he he tip. Tipped- for her to to take this role specifically mm-hmm. because he worked with her on elf and she actually did and, and eventually oh, yeah. when she sees the child she looks she says the same exact line as she does to uh buddy the elf and she goes oh look at you in that same kind of you know childish you know parental goo goo gaga kind of you know
0: salutation That's funny. Yeah. so when uh when she walks up we get this uh classic mechanic or sort of I don't I don't have I've never had a mechanic like this but it's uh it's definitely like a a comedy bit where the mechanic comes up and starts naming off all of these things that are wrong with your car Cook does a a great bit on it it's that same vibe you get with any auto mechanic you've ever dealt with even though you're listening and nodding in your head you're like this guy is big time you just believe whatever they say they're like yeah we the roof on your car it was peeling back it resented the rest of the car so we replaced that also there was a tiny unicorn in your exhaust and he was jumping does kind of the same thing she's like woof we're gonna have to rotate that oh that's gonna need to be replaced Ooh, you're leaking fuel here oh you got a lot of carbon scoring in here it looks like you got into a ship battle or something totally
1: she's like uh it's gonna set you back <laughs> <laughs> they always say it's gonna set you back like
0: it's not gonna cost this much it's going to set you back that's when yeah you know, that's it, when you know you're in trouble there's never any specific amount that's negotiated in this episode but mm-hmm. Mando's like look I got 500 imperial credits which again I don't know what those are worth out here they didn't seem to be worth anything ever in this series imperial credits I guess those were republic credits from the prequel series I don't I maybe imperial credits have more valuable more value than the republic credits that uh, I'm not um, familiar I'm not,
1: try to use I'm not familiar with the uh, space economics in the Star Wars universe I think we needed another 3 episodes just to talk about the politics and the economics of Star Wars
0: yeah, we'll have to start another podcast that's on the- The conversion button.
1: rates of Imperial to New Republic credits.
0: Yeah, that's. I'm sure there's a big untapped audience out there for those. For sure. So, um, you look, sh- she's saying we got to do all these things. And Mando, very specifically, is like no droids. And again, he actually not, shoots not, one of the droids, him. doesn't <laughs> he uh, He shoots at it? I think it, it's in the, in the dirt right before he walks up to his ship and he does that whole little, little <laughs> collapses and falls to the ground. Um, <laughs> those are just great droids. They, they seem kind of, you know, like idiots, um, a lot like uh, they've got a very the, Three the, Stooges kind of vibe. To I just say the Three Stooges, and they're like they're almost always in triplicate pair, like yeah. Group. So they they do have the Three Stooges kind of like what? Who? Which way? You? And then they'll, <laughs> they even like poke each other in the nose to to collapse. So they definitely they've got to be modeled off of the Three Stooges. Uh, we should look into that. Um, we get another instance of. Real world tech oh, showing man. up in a galaxy far, far away. So we have,
1: what's what's the tally that we have so far? We have uh, ladies razors used as communicators. We have ice cream machines used as Comtono uh, crates. Yeah, we've got the Home Depot shredded <laughs> rod and, and screwball shifter knob. In, in this episode, we see one, for, uh, the flight stick. One of the flight sticks that Mando's using is actually just a glued on And I had to look this up. It's called the Thrustmaster T16000M Game Controller, which is very popular for the space simulation and space shooter community. So if you're playing the new Star Wars uh, uh, Squadron, Squadrons. Now, this would definitely be you, again the Thrustmaster T sixteen thousand M game
0: controller. <laughs> they just painted this it. episode brought to you by. If you would like to buy this game stick, follow our Amazon YouTube affiliate link. <laughs> game Thruster slash Deathwatch
1: for ten percent off. I'm telling you, there's probably a market in there. And the uh, machine, when she's scanning for the uh, carbon scoring pelimoto, she is actually using um, a Black
0: and Decker thermal leak <laughs> detector. Yeah, I think I, it's it looks familiar. I, like I, we're both architects, and like got the HVAC guys on on site. Well, they shoot them up at like the air conditioning ducts to make sure the air is coming out at the right temperature. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is it is kind of funny to see it. They so. just painted it black. Call
1: it. It's now just a. It's no longer Black and Decker. It's just black and blacker.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Thank you. So Mando's like, look, here's, I got 500 credits. She's like, this was just going to cover your landing fee. He's like, I'll, I'll be good. I'm good for it. And, uh, and he leaves and we haven't seen the child here. Actually, there's a, a quick scene when he's landing, the child is asleep and he's kind of like, this is another little fatherly moment. He's gently like laying him down in the pram to take a nap. Um, and he doesn't follow him out of the ship this time. He he stays in the ship. We don't see him the entire time we're talking to Peli and, and then he leaves, goes through the uh, the airlock out into town, um, and we don't we don't have the kid going with him. So then we are following Mando as he walks through the familiar Mos Eisley streets. We've got the moisture evaporators kind of spaced out like the oil machines in California towns, <laughs> just, um, just just sucking up moisture. Yep, um, and uh, we get this pretty cool shot of the stormtrooper helmets on pikes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I wonder where these come from, because I I assumed Tatooine was kind of out of the eye of the Empire. They didn't really care about it. They didn't ever occupy it. And the only time they may have been there would have been at the beginning of New Hope when they were tracking down Leia. Mm -hmm. But I suppose they did actually end up coming back to Tatooine for a period of time, it would explain a lot of why Moss is kind of roughed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- the Imperials always had uh, policing; they they had
1: um, sort of police duty uh, troopers on different outposts and throughout uh, throughout the galaxy. So yeah. it's it's not unthinkable that there's going to be at least a short order of you know some troopers deployed there just to try to attempt to keep you know quote unquote keep the peace. Uh, obviously, yeah. the uh, after the end of Return of the Jedi, the locals in Mos Eisley had other plans for said troopers, mm. as we can see on their heads with with pikes.
0: Yeah, early, they didn't make it. early retirement. Yeah, forced retirement. <laughs> um, and uh, and then kind of spliced into this, we've got we cut back to the uh, the hangar bay, and we hear this like so. The pit droids and Peli are playing Sabak, which is a card game we've seen multiple times throughout—not um, really the original movie series, but in in things since then. It's a a card game, you know, feels similar to like poker or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of multiple card. Uh, there's like four sets, and you try to get a series or a run. I actually have a, um, a set myself. Do you I have sabak I do have a Sabak. I got it. I got it right here. And
1: uh, wow. yeah, it's actually kind of fun. Uh, you don't need that many people. You can play with as little as two or as many as eight, you know, kind of like, it's like poker in that sense. Um, But it's more like a combination between Uno and Blackjack where the goal is to get to Mm -hmm. zero. So you have like positive and negative cards and that's when uh, we we know it, we're familiar with it because it's infamously known for Han Solo beating um, Lando Carissian to win the Millennium Falcon. It was a game of Sabacc where supposedly one or both of them had, had cheated. And we see that in the solo movie, uh, sort of reenacted. Yeah. So the uh, equivalent of having, you know, the ace in the hole is trying to have a high enough, like,
0: negative card so you can be yeah. as close to uh, zero as possible. The, uh, in the Knights of the Old Republic video game series, there's a mini game that you can play kind of on any of the planets called Pazak, which is basically the same rules. It's you, you sort of buy your own deck of like Yu-Gi-Oh or pokemon cards mm-hmm. which are some combination of plus or minus or plus or only minus cards and then you go into the hand and you 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 play it to get as close to zero as you can it's basically the same yeah. rules um except you have your own little like pet deck as opposed to just a standard deck that gets dealt out each time um but uh yeah that game i guess uh, whatever it is, a thousand <laughs> years later from the video game series gets changed to Sibak, um, but it is a it is a cool card game. Uh, so they're playing, they're betting each other some some um, a motivator, some nuts, and then we hear this like really strange shriek, um, which doesn't get explained, and I haven't really heard many people talking about it, but it is kind of chilling. It's not like a like a, a cry, <laughs> like oh the baby's waking up, yeah. which we do hear. Later in this in the show, um, but it, it all it sounds kind of like when um, Emperor Palpatine is fighting um, the Jedi who come to arrest him, and it's like a Sith shriek, which is like uh, some form of attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds really s- scary. I don't know what your your take. On I have the I is. have no
1: idea. I've always wondered it myself. I felt like it was just over, maybe on a production level, it was just sort of like over. Uh, exaggerated the fact that it was a baby, mm-hmm. the baby waking up. I think some people would quip. This is me in the morning when I haven't had my coffee yet. Kind of, kind of situation. Yeah. So sure. maybe, maybe baby Yoda's looking for some chicken nuggies or chalky milk or something. Mano's not
0: there to give it well, to him. If you haven't had your coffee yet, you can enjoy it in a new death watch coffee mug. This is the way available now at Etsy stores near you affiliate link. Bar. Um, uh at linktree slash Deathwatch, um but so the the pelly goes and she picks up the child she's like what the heck is going on here he starts cooing he he warms up to her immediately as he has everybody so far uh and she's like oh i'm gonna watch this kid and i'm gonna make some more money from him <laughs> and she she tells the pitchroids, go get him something to eat And they're like what do we get him? She's like, I don't know, like something with bones in it. it. I,
1: I love the fact that she understands the droid speak. Like different droids throughout the galaxy, each have their own sort of personalities and languages, and it, it is. Yeah, they sound. These sound like squirrels,
0: like like <laughs> chattering, chitter chattering. <laughs> and together. she understands
1: perfectly exactly what there's, I don't know, something with bones in it.
0: Yeah. Um. So, the we cut back to Mando, and he's uh, approaching uh, the cantina that we first were introduced to, and. In, a new hope. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, so it looks roughed Mm -hmm. up. There's like that kind of satellite dish outside, which has carbon scoring on it. It's been shot up or, or, uh, damaged in some way. Um, the cantina seems to be under new ownership Mm -hmm. as we knew last time, as soon as Luke and Obi-Wan walked in with R2 and C3PO, the bartender was like, we don't like their kind here yelling at the droids. Um, but, uh, they, they do seem a lot more into the droids. They seem they're very uh, progressive. They seem they're very
1: progressive. Yeah,
0: they're very, very woke um, owners. And um, the actual, the bartender is a droid. There are droids in the cantina. So it's this kind of an interesting, like, uh, opposite mm-hmm. change from from what we've seen before. I think we see a few background characters, which were in the original cantina scene from the movie. Um, we also see R5-D4, I, I believe. I'm sure there are several droids that look like him, but it, it would be a cool callback if this is the red. Um, in the movie, they call him an R2 unit, although he's an R5 mm-hmm. unit. But um, th- that Uncle Owen buys from the Jawas, and then the it, his head explodes. He's like, oh, Uncle Owen, he's got a bad motivator. <laughs> well, it looks like he got a better um, motivator. Yeah. It looks like he's, he's upgraded his. Uh, speaking of,
1: speaking of droids, um, uh, fun fact, the droid that Mando walks up to is actually voiced by, uh, someone you, you may be familiar with him. His name is Mark Hamill. Um, mm. he's somewhat, I've heard, oh, he's in,
0: he's in the Batman anime. Yeah, Wars, he right. voices the Joker.
1: Yeah. He's, he's, he's kinda, uh, he's kinda well-known in, in Star Wars, you know, sort of a bit character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That Luke something. Yeah. Luke, 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 Luke Skywalker. Stark <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah. 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 Um, that's uh, very cool to have Mark Hamill in at such a minor role. And I think for those who only know Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, you know, that's fine. He's a, he's plays this character epically and it, it defined his career, but he's an amazing voice mm-hmm. actor. Uh, whenever he does like, uh, late night shows and things he he could cycle through voice impressions of of people he knows and different characters and even does this great han solo <laughs> or um, harrison ford impression when when they were viewing empire strikes back for the first time the the secret that darth vader was luke skywalker's father was uh epically kept spoiler alert ups, if you uh, haven't seen the movie is, yet in the last, um, yeah. forty years, I, I can't believe that you're listening to this podcast and you've never seen a bar strikes back. But um, only f- like four people mm-hmm. knew that, um, including Mark Hamill, George Lucas, and like two producers, and that's it. Um, and even the actor who is like voicing all—I guess James Earl Jones knew it because mm-hmm. he voices it. But not even the guy in the suit knew it because when he was reading the line in the shot. He says Obi Wan. No, your no, father. I killed Obi. And, no, he says I killed
1: Obi Wan, oh, or something like that. No, Obi Wan killed your father. That's what he said. He's he yeah, was yeah, trying yeah, something to, like that. Yeah, in the written in the official script that the actors were going off of, the character, the actor that played Darth Vader said, uh, "Obi Wan killed your father."
0: Right, 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 right. Um, and and but George Lucas gives the direction to Mark Hamill to react, knowing that he finds out that Darth Vader is his father. Anyway he does this impression of just the, the way Harrison Ford leans over to him. And he's like, "You." Can't tell me <laughs> it's like, it's like you know, the, the perfect impression of Harrison Ford. The, um, there's so actually Mark. Campbell's yeah. He's still serving in the service and drinks. Speaking of Han
1: Solo, there's a great Han Solo callback uh, in this scene with this new character that we're meeting.
0: Yeah. Uh, Toro Calican. Yeah. So Mando's like, look, I need some, some uh, i'm a some bounty work he's like the guild doesn't operate it here he's like that's fine i don't need bounty hunter guild work he's like your situation it's just <laughs> it's just like there's nothing here why is it that the droids always then, have the, like the best driest humor oh, it's, it's <laughs> so it's so like good. i think they know exactly
1: uh, what they're doing yep
0: yeah. and then uh from the from behind him this guy's like yo i i got something for you and he you know calls him over and we meet Toro Calican, who's kind of chilling in one of the the booths. I, this kind of looks like the booth where Han. I think it Dorito. is. I think it's I exact. Quite,
1: I mean, it's the yeah. same exact. They're in Mos Eisley. I think he goes to the same exact cantina, and that's the same exact yeah. uh, booth that Han and Chewie are originally sitting in.
0: Yeah, and he even has the like mm-hmm. the casual, laid back, um, like he's sitting down the same way that. Han was before he shoots him but anyway he's there and uh, he's he's playing uh, he's kind of um, sticking out mm-hmm. his chest a lot more trying to play like he's something important some, some big shot um, he slaps a puck down yeah he slaps a puck down on the table and we get the the cool holographic look at Fennec Shand who he is trying to bring in Mando's like so how long you been with the guild and uh knowing what, what the situation is here. Toro's like, oh I've been living long enough. He's like, apparently not, because this woman is ungettable and you're gonna be dead if you try to catch her. He's like, look, 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 look. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I, I'm not a part of the guild. I'm trying to get in. This this bounty is my ticket into the guild. Can you help me? I'll give you the money. I just need I just need her to to get into the guild. And uh mando's not super into it but he's like this seems like my only shot at making money on this planet to pay for my repairs so he agrees he puts out he's like look give me the fob you go get some suit bikes um, yeah some speeders yeah speeder bikes and uh and meet back at at bay 35 toro's like no 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 big deal and smashes the the fob he's like oh i've got it memorized and I I don't feel like that's how the tracking fobs work. It's not like he, I don't where they I are. I don't think right? he knows that that's how the tracking fobs work. Either. Oh, yeah, I mean, like from my understanding, it's kind of like go mm-hmm. in that direction and and until you it beeps and you get hotter, <laughs> warmer, warmer, <laughs> warmer. Not like they're at this latitude longitude. Anyway, he's in control of where they need to go because he's memorized mm-hmm. where she's at, and um, yeah, so that's where we're. It's interesting, this
1: detail, um, he's playing around with some kind of currency. If you look at it very closely, it's actually like the New Republic logo on the currency that um, Toru mm. is holding. And I think he mentions that this was actually a New Republic gig, uh, like a bounty was put on by the New Republic to get her huh. because she is notorious for working with, Mando says that she's notorious for working with some of the worst, you know, but the biggest uh, underbosses in the galaxy, including the Heights. Which yeah. we all know, you don't, you never mess with the huts, especially on, you know, on Tatooine.
0: So, Mando heads back to the Razor Crest to actually before this. So, um, Toro mentions that she's hiding out beyond the Dune Sea, which is just a little, a little reference to some geography on Tatooine that we're familiar with from uh, from previous um, movies. I think this is also where the um, the starlak monster is hanging out is sort of beyond the dune sea as well, which, you know, may come in to play at the end of this episode puts us in this part of the planet. But in any case, um, that's where we're at. Um, so Mando heads back to the razor crest to get his, some supplies. He goes in the ship and can't find the child and starts to kind of panic real quick and slams on, uh, on Pelly's window. Where is is he? And (laughs) wakes everyone up who's sleeping. The kid starts to cry. She's like, what the (laughs) heck is wrong with you? And she's like, you can't leave a a baby in a, in a (laughs) ship by itself. And, uh, Mando realizes like, yeah, she's right. And also like, she's good at taking care of the kid. So he trusts her to watch him and, uh, and, starts to walk out to go meet up with Toro. She follows him. So Toro sees Peli holding the kid. They exchange a little bit. He kind of does this little like head nod, like how do you ma'am? Uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, just another little Western movie uh, reference, um, but makes note of, you know, the kid in her hands. Uh, Mando looks unimpressed at the speeder bikes that he was able to procure within. I mean, it's impressive. He got them in like 20 minutes. Um, but still they look kind of look kind of roughed up. And, uh, and then they, they head off across the dune sea. Start, start running into the yeah. sunset. And, yep. Um, Mando kind of slows them down. He's like, look off in the distance there. They see uh, a do back. No banthas. They start seeing, it's they start seeing pretty far. There were two banthos. Yeah. Oh, you're th- that's right. Um, Toro hops off, pulls out his, uh, his binocs and starts looking and, He's like, oh, those are those are Tuscan Raiders. I heard about these filth. I the, heard the mm. locals talking about them. Amanda's like the, the the Tuscan Raiders think they're the locals, yeah. and everyone else is uh, trespassing. Uh, and anytime we've ever played video games that are set in Tatooine, the Tuscan Raiders come up, and it's always like very territorial. Anytime you're anywhere, you're getting attacked by Tuscan Raiders because that's very accurate that they see this mm. planet as sacred to them and everybody else is trespassing um and uh kind of he's, he's trashing them and he's like they better keep their <laughs> distance and it's uh, the same classic trope from the first uh chapter of the Mandalorian uh he pulls the binox down and mando's like well, <laughs> you tell him yourself <laughs> there's standing right next to him and, they, <laughs> and he's like the Tuscan, Tuscan chant that they're most, most noted for. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, so Toro kind of jumps back for a second. Mando hops in and starts to communicate to them. He doesn't obviously speak their language, but he starts kind of gesturing at them. Yeah. And it seems like this is like, yeah, sign language. I I find it, I, it definitely has
1: elements of, of real, uh, uh, sign language like human sign language it could have just been i couldn't really identify mm. you know what the dialogue was between mando and the and the tuscan grader um it but it's interesting that i've not, I noticed two things uh one that mando being in the business that he is in has to know a little bit of different languages like how he knew just very broken basic yeah. jawa uh from the previous you know previous right. episodes and now he has like some fundamental understanding of of
0: the language that the Tuscan readers
1: speak in and the second.
0: Yeah. Well, and he speaks their language, but he also like, speaks yeah, their yeah, he understands like, the culture. It, yeah. It's really specific to know, not just like, hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. Can we get by? It's like, Hey, I know that this mm-hmm. is religiously sacred to you. And there's some transactional nature that we can do for me to get, through here exactly what do you want the uh, other thing is
1: that the um other thing i wanted to bring out that the actor portraying that tuscan raider is an actual deaf actor he's uh he's been working as an actor for over 20 years um his name is troy coatser so I, I i really appreciate the fact that one they're they're putting a bit of a spotlight on this relatively unknown culture of the tuscan raiders you know we always like, like to your point we always see them yeah. as kind of like very aggressive and territorial but you know they are history. They have a history, they have a culture, they have a language. And, and, um, two, yeah. they cast an actual, uh, they cast an actor who actually knows ASL to communicate with, with Mando. Right. and we don't, we don't know exactly what they meant, but you can see kind of like the gestures, like over, we want to go over mountain. We want to make, I don't know, square, he makes a square gesture. Like we want to make a deer deal. That's fair for everybody or something. I'm not really sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it is it is a cool little exchange. And uh at the end of it, Mando's like, Let me let me see your uh your Binox real quick to Toro. He's like, Why? He's like, just give them to me. He grabs them and then he tosses <laughs> them to the, the radio. He's like, whoa, 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 what those are those are mine, those are brand new. Like, yep, they were brand new. And then off awesome. transaction They're concluded. not yours anymore. Yep, so they, they pay them the Binox so that they can get through their land. Uh and this here, this moment and a lot of these scenes out here is another um example of the large LED screen set that we've talked about before. It's a lot of the like distant sand dunes are are this um multi whatever digital screen. Um some of the sand is actual physical sand that they're walking on, uh, but it gives that sort of infinite location without having to be mm-hmm. actually shooting in Tunisia, uh wherever they were at for some of these scenes uh so then they they hop back on go a little bit further and then this is where they see the dewback and you know for those who remember dewbacks we first meet them in a new hope when the um when the stormtroopers come down to track the droids for some reason they're riding the dewbacks <laughs> looking back on it i don't understand why they appropriated the dewbacks to walk through the desert I feel like They could have totally had some other type of (laughs) troop transport or just like a a hover (laughs) tank that they could have just, you know, driven over the dunes with. But anyway, they've, they saddled them up and so we we see him here. It's got a a saddle on it and there's a Mm -hmm. body kind of being dragged by it. And Mando is kind of wise to what this situation might be. He tells Toro to stay back. He's going to go check it out. He finds that it's a bounty hunter he sees that it's a, a beeping fob and he realizes this is a trap. Shenik fan has put this bounty hunter here, or she's at least sniped him from far away. And so now Mando knows that mm-hmm. he's in sniper range of, of her. And he, he starts running back to Toro hiding behind the dunes. He gets shot twice, mm-hmm. hits him in the best guard. Um, and, uh, He's first, he hops over. He's like, man, that, that's a great shot. Only an MK modified rifle could have made that shot, which, you know, keys into who this is, that this is clearly Fennec Shin. And, uh, and Toro's like, wow, you survived that shot. He was, like, yeah, it hit me in the best car. He's like, wait, I don't wear best car. And man, nope. like, Nope. <laughs> a little, a little note
1: about that. The, uh, um, the MK, the fact that it was an MK modified apparently is a, um, is a name drop for the Mandalorians and not just the Mandalorians, but one famous Mandalorian, Mm. uh, Boba Fett, because it's a very, it's a gun that's made by the Mandalorians and it was used, uh, on a weapon by Boba Fett himself. So like here it's, we're getting one, she knows what she's doing. So she's definitely Mm. the best of the best. And two, we're getting a, a bit of a breadcrumb of, of the Boba Fett character.
0: Very cool. It'd be interesting if this rifle was actually Boba Fett's that she recovered that would be so cool. The wreckage of the of the uh, the sail whatever the sailboat that Java gets exploded on. Uh, so then uh, Amanda's like, "Look, we're pinned down in bright daylight, and she's got the high ground. We're not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere because she has the high ground. Let's just wait till dark." I'm going to go lay down and, uh, and take a nap. You got first watch. So uh, just like Mando is going to lay down and take a break while we take a break and, uh, and let you hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. And we're back. So it is now nighttime. Toro's like, all right, it's time to get this show on the road. He goes to wake him up. He's like, Mando, come on, get up. And uh, and Mando doesn't move, and there's this kind of great bit where he's like, "Oh, you're so tough. Look at you sleeping." Blah blah. He kind of whips out his gun at him, trying to be like super cool, ha ha ha. And Mando's like, "Are you done yet? You done?" <laughs> uh, he's like, "What? Oh yeah, nope, no big deal." And he tries to like play it off, but like kind of smooth, cool. Like, oh yeah, just uh, yeah, just kind of checking my sights here. Yeah, no no problem. Uh, love I love that a little bit. Um, it kind of shows you what what a clown toro is like he's he's not serious about a lot of this stuff and uh so he's like look how do you think we're gonna get her because we have like a large bit of ground to cover between here and there he's like well we'll just ride our speeder bikes he's like these aren't armored we're not protected i don't have best car we're gonna get hit and we're we're not gonna make it he's like well our one shot is to use our what does he call them What, what what's what's the actual thing
1: um, I don't, I remember they were like flash. Um, I don't, I, I don't I remember what they were called right now. Uh, but the idea is that they, um,
0: basically shoot off. They're that like kind flares, of like yeah. uh,
1: flares, like light
0: flares. Yeah, so they, yeah. he's like, we're just going to alternate you shoot. Then I shoot these flares. They're going to blind her scope for a few seconds each time. And let's, uh, Bob and weave a little bit and try to just juke her out. And that's our best bet. And Toro's not convinced that this is a great plan, but goes with it nonetheless. They take off, start alternating their flare shots. Just as they're getting close, Mando gets hit and knocked off of his speeder, and mm-hmm. only because uh, Toro misses his shot, he—I think—he
1: shoots his flare yeah. into the ground right. by accident and it it gives it gives fennec the the shot that she needs for yeah uh, again another
0: example of toro not being like a particularly competent yeah such a noob yeah such a noob and uh but mando falls down toro keeps going and as fennec is about to take like the final shot the kill shot on mando toro hops out from behind the rocks and he's got his his gun pulled and he's like stop right there like don't don't take this shot and then uh a moment later mando comes up and they they tie her up and get ready to to take her back and realize that they've only got the two speeders and they can't take her or no is the one speeder is no not they correct. the one speeder gets shot
1: exactly because when she shoots mando he gets knocked off and and, and that's and right so they only have correct.
0: one speeder now which i suppose could take two of them but not all three of them and uh Mando threatens like, well, we could drag you back to to um to Fennec Shen. So we we meet a little bit about her. Fennec Shen is played by Ming Na Wen. Um you'll recognize her from several uh things over the last, I guess, thirty years really. Um mm-hmm. I I first knew her from the show Stargate Universe, which, you know, has been seen by over ten people. Um but uh, she played in that that series she also voiced uh mulan in the original disney animated movie back in the 90s um and she's done a lot of work in between those two times yeah
1: also an, another little known movie that many people may not have, have yeah watched you know they nice.
0: should they should do a remake of that like a live action remake i feel like that would do yeah. really well yeah i think I think that would be a good idea
1: and um, you know what, and just, just to add, it would do so well. People would be willing to just throw an extra like 30 or 40 bucks just to be watched, just to watch it yeah. on already. Like, you know, paid I paid service. for Disney
0: plus, but I'll pay 20 extra dollars yeah. to watch it this month. Disney, uh, Disney plus yeah. 20 bucks. Disney plus 20. I like it. <laughs> um, so uh, M- Mando agrees the only solution is to go back and get the back. He initially tells Toro to go get it. Toro's like, "Look, if I leave you here with her, you are going to take off, and I am going to be stuck with nothing." So Amanda's like, "All right, fine, I'll, I'll go, I'll go get it." He looks at it. he we get another shot of the tech of his visor. He looks out over the range and he can kind of see the heat signature of the dewback. Mm-hmm. Sees that it's way off, but he's like, "All right, fine, I'll go get it," and uh, and that leaves Toro alone with. Fennec Shand. So it's it's a long time passes
1: because when we see them again, it's already almost like daybreak and Mando's on foot, so it can take many. Yeah, hours, I mean, if we
0: assume you know for him to get to like it. Like their day is roughly the same as our day on Tatooine. I don't know how the two suns work, but they seem to set at the same time. But um if if they started this assault just after it turned dark and there's, you know, ten to twelve hours of darkness. They uh, it it takes Mando a solid nine ten hours to go get and come back with that do back, so they're they're alone mm-hmm. for a while and uh and Fenix Shan starts to you can see that she's an expert at her craft you know she's captured at gunpoint about to be taken in for a bounty and she doesn't seem shaken she doesn't seem like she's scared of this happening Mm-mm. and no she's trying to talk her way yeah but the even then but not in a way that's like. I'm terrified. Look, I'll, you know, like the we saw in the first scene of the first episode when um, Horatio Sands is trying to get out of being captured. Expert yeah. negotiation. Expert negotiation. He's panicking and like, oh, I'll pay you. How much was it? Well, like, please let me go. Blah blah. she's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you've caught me. You'll definitely get into the guild. But I don't know. I think I think that Mandalorian's got to be a pretty big deal. Right. I mean, how many of those guys do you see around? And then uh she yeah. actually vi Mando she tips to him something off about she's like, "Have you have, have you been to Navarro lately and uh And then she tells Toro about the recent shootout from the Mandalorian covert on Navarro, saying, uh one of the Mandalorians left and took a high prized target and this is this is where mm-hmm. we trigger Toro's like, Wait, i I saw Mando with <laughs> a, an interesting looking character back at the ship." Maybe this is the guy who has the bounty out for him. And she's like, I mean, even that best car alone is worth a ton of money. And he's like, look, I'm not in for it for for the money. But then she's like, if you brought in that Mandalorian, you would be a legend. And she starts to like really pull on like the strings of his like fantasy as a person. Like you can tell he wants to be his ego because he wants to be a cool bounty hunter he wants like people to be impressed by him. It's not just because he's like, "Oh, this would be a cool job." Um, he he wants to be a legend, and so she she keeps kind of pouring on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they continue to talk more and more, and eventually, Toros convinced that Mando is the right target here. And he's he's done with Fennec, and he just he shoots her because she, she she comes. She's like, "Look, let me go, and I'll help you take in the Mandalorian," and. Um, And Toro wisely realizes that if he lets her out, she's going to kill him. Um, And so just before she's kind of reaching out her shackles for him to release. And just before he does, he shoots her and leaves her, um, you know, where she's standing next to the rocks and takes off. And then the next scene is um, Mando comes up, realizes what's happened, sees Fennec's body, sees that the speeder bike is gone, but he's all he has is his due back and he's way outside of the city limits. Um, Mm -hmm. So presumably he sort of is panicking while moving incredibly slow on the due (laughs) to get back to Mos Eisley. I mean, giant uh, Gila monsters can only move so fast. So, and I mean, like we have, we, we know from Mandalorian lore and other things that they're good at 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 uh controlling animals um and we s- even see it in the, earlier in the series where he hops on the the blurg and controls it but anyway he rides the the animal back goes to bay 35 and uh Toro has taken hostage of everybody there he's got the child in his hands he's got Peli um kind of by his side and uh he's he tells her mm-hmm. to go take his weapons and tie him up And, uh, and as she's doing that, he's got his hands kind of like behind his head and she sees that he's preparing to like blast the flare and get this kind of like quiet, Mm -hmm. oh, you're smarter than you look, um, and, uh, so Mando blasts the flare and it, it blinds him for, for a second and he starts kind of shooting blindly where Mando was standing and then Mando gets around and shoots, um Toro and then they kind of panic and run over to look for the kid and who's no longer there uh and they like for a moment you're like what just happened to him like he was right he was being held by him did he get shot or you know ev- evaporated or something and then like <laughs> way off to the side he kind of pokes out from behind uh evaporator and you you get a little look at his force abilities again like um he can just like move out of there really fast. We see Yoda moving like this when he fights Count Dooku in, in episode two, The Clone Wars. Um, we see it episode one when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are kind of pinned down on that um, Trade Federation ship and the, the Destroyer droids are, are shooting at them. Mm-hmm. They just like peace out down the hall in a few seconds. So um, <laughs> another look at at the Force abilities of the child. Um, so Mando gets the kid and um Pelly's like I, I I suppose you didn't get to complete the job huh and you kind of get the sense that she's like look I I'm I'm sympathetic to your situation I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go so it, like this one's on me kind of thing that's that's how I sensed mm-hmm. it like she wasn't gonna make a big deal out of it and uh and he pulls out yeah because
1: he, he asked he asked her oh so I guess you you didn't get the bounty yeah. you know so she wasn't in the expectation
0: that he got any right. money and then um he pulls out a sack and kind of just dumps a whole <laughs> bunch of cash in their <laughs> he, hand. He literally just literally just makes it yeah. right and you know again i'm like he, he, can you ask like so how am i like i've never walked into a store and just been like just dumping money on the register and be like is this going to be good and they're like yeah sure that's fine <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna do that next to next time i go to Publix. this is like all the change i got just totally t- <laughs> will this cover oh, me? man that that is such a uh a geocentric thing for you to say, as I wish I could just go to Publix right now, but instead I'm stuck with stop and shop. Um, Pub pub subs, man. Pub subs are the way to go best. For those of you who don't know, Chris lives in Florida and I live in Massachusetts and, uh, we do not have the same chains of grocery stores here. Those of you who don't (laughs) live in Florida, you're missing out on, um, God's gift to the universe, which is Publix and particularly their deli subs. (laughs) So,
1: this episode of Death Watch Podcast has been brought to you by Publix. Yeah, go to Enjoy a pub sub
0: Publix or 599.com slash Death Watch for no discount, but you should still go get lunch there. <laughs> and, uh, so he, he pours out all the cash. He's like, yeah, this is, this, this will be fine. This, this is plenty of money. Thank you very much. And, uh, Mando heads back to the ship. Pelly's like, get rid of this body. She kind of screams at the, the pit droids. Yeah. Get the, get. And they're like chirping back <laughs> at her. <your room>. Yeah, <laughs> well, like, where do you want us to take it? She's like, I don't know. Drag it out to Beggar's Canyon, which is another reference to A New Hope and some more ge- geography that we know about the planet. So it's pretty cool. And then uh, Mando lifts off, starts to take away- uh, fly out of the Mos Eisley spaceport. And then we cut back. Fenix Shan's body for the, the last scene of the episode. And we slowly are zooming in on kind of her corpse on the ground. And then we start hearing um, boots and spurs as they are walking over towards her. And you picked up on this more mm-hmm. than I did in the first pass.
1: Yeah, there was um, you definitely do hear something that sounds like spurs or some sort of metal, you know, jingling um, when I was looking at it, I didn't actually see spurs. So, um, but the, the sound of that, uh, the, that particular sound is very, um, reminiscent of Boba Fett yeah. in uh, return of the Jedi. And, uh, we, we see him last in return of the Jedi. He gets eaten up in the, in the Sarlacc pit or, or so we, so we think, and there's a lot of back and forth and speculation, but there's also a lot of, uh, material on the expanded universe comics and, and books that say that he eventually emerges yeah um but then there's also uh, another character named cobb vanth who acquires uh mandalorian armor uh from a vendor or, or somebody in tatooine and then starts calling himself boba fett because of what everybody by that by then would have heard what had happened to boba fett sure. so if boba fett really was dead no one could stop him from Claiming that he was Boba Fett. Yeah. So we don't know who this is, but we're kind of led to think that it's either of those two characters. My, my money is that it's on Fett himself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but if the writing is as good in season two as it is now, we're, we're probably going to get some twists, and it could be it could be something like or is Cobb Vance, and then hopefully we'll see an actual uh, reappearance by Boba Fett himself.
0: Yeah. So I mean, we we know that in Legends. Novels and and in storylines that happened before Disney acquired the franchise, that Boba Fett did get out of the Sarlacc pit at some point. So there is some guidance here in terms of it could be him coming out of of the Sarlacc pit. Um, But like you said too, it could be a twist in that this is just Cobb Vanth dressed as Boba Fett, and the reason why. Tamira Morrison is cast as because maybe we see flashbacks of Mando, of Mando interacting with Boba Fett in other instances, or even just uh, a reenactment of Boba Fett's death. Um, mm-hmm. For those who don't know how a Sarlacc monster works, when, when Boba, when, um, when, when um, Jabba the Hutt is describing what's about to happen to, Han Solo and to Luke Skywalker and everyone, they're going to be thrown into the pit. Uh, actually, this is voiced by C-3PO translating for Jabba the Hut. is that when you fall into the monster, um, you're slowly died. You will find a new definition of pain as you are slowly <laughs> digested over a thousand years. And you know, at first you're like, well, you can't live for a thousand years, so obviously you're going to, whatever, die of starvation in a few days of after falling in. But the starlak has like Toxins and things that it injects into you, which artificially keep you alive while you're torturously dying forever um, for a millennia. Um, So for sure, you know, like we've said before, this series is about five years after that um, Return of the Jedi scene. So, you know, theoretically, Boba Fett could have been kept alive by these toxins and not quite dead. Um, and then found a way to get out. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what what this character is and why uh, Tim Gert-Morrison and more is cast here. So,
1: Mike, how are you feeling so far? What was what was your favorite part in this episode?
0: Well, I, I love how nostalgic this episode is. Um, yeah, it, I agree. It feels like the most, Tatooine is like the most familiar planet, I think, in the whole series. We come back to it a lot. We start on it um, in the original trilogy. And, um, it's just really cool to see these, you know, familiar places. Um, I think watching Mando take out another skilled bounty hunter is just like another kind of feather in his cap in terms Mm -hmm. of like his ability to protect himself and defend himself and, and really shows how formidable he is in the universe, um, particularly of bounty hunters. And, um, And this episode starts to project towards what season two could be like when we first watched these uh, a a year ago, you you start to see like the the story starts to set out in front of you. We're not just like looking at this day to day. We're like, oh, well now here's especially because we see this character only at at their boots and then we don't see them for the rest of the series. (laughs) Um, And so like that starts to be out there like, where is this guy? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the show from here on, and I loved that this was just a really, um, familiar episode and I loved all the little, um, callbacks that Dave Filoni put in here. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, it does. I love the nostalgia. I love,
1: uh, and this was a, you can definitely tell that this is a Dave Filoni driven episode, both in writing and directing. Um, it's sort of like his, his means of fanboying. Yeah. For the Star Wars universe, and uh, there's definitely elements of I don't want to say fan service, but a lot of callbacks for for truer fans. Um, also, other opportunities for us to see the character of Mando and his more human side, because, uh, for instance, when he's talking to the mechanic, um, he says "thank you," not really gruffly. He, you know, he it's sort of just that simple "thank you." The way that he said it showed appreciation of the fact that she took care of the child yeah that she also showed care for the child and you know that she wasn't one of the few, few people she was one of the few people in the galaxy that aren't like trying to take it for its wealth for its bounty for its value but rather right. for, because it's a it's a living being right and um, and she was kind of taken aback by that like she wasn't really expecting a genuine thank you for him so it's also a really good character development on his part mm-hmm. um doing he's doing what he has to do to survive and to protect the child, but he's also not losing his humanity in the process. Yeah. So that's it for this episode. Thank you all for joining us. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share and leave a comment on Apple podcasts. It helps other people find
0: the show. Also, please follow us on Instagram at deathwatch podcast on Twitter at deathwatchcast and on the magic mill app. We've also announced before. We also have our first bit of merch uh, available, and and more on the way. Uh, we've got a couple of T-shirt ideas we're working on, and some other things. And you can find those at uh, linktree slash deathwatch, and that's again that's linktr.ee slash deathwatch, and the link is in the show description. Awesome. So thanks for listening. This is the way. This
1: is the way.